0: Influencers, let's get bougie. Listen to Aide Thompson for an hour. I'd rather fuck a blood relative. It's Aide Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sup motherfuckers, how are we doing? It's Wednesday, which means it's time for the solo show. Let's fucking do this. If it's your first time joining, welcome to A. Thompson and other disappointments. Uh, it's your twice weekly... Dance with the devil in the pale of moonlight, Uh, your dalliance with dystopia. I am your host, Abe Thompson, and it is... It's time to wipe that grin off your face, guys. It's time to turn that frown back up the way it was intended. Let's get nasty. Let's focus on all that is wrong with the world so that you might elicit some gallows humour, some misery likes company catharsis and, you know, weirdly feel better about it all i guess uh there's loads going on with the podcast right now let's just give you a bit of an update shall we uh, make sure you get yourself a ticket for the september live show that's on thursday the 28th of september in shoreditch at the book club that's only three months from today the clock is ticking down guys to that first ever thursday night sermon um i'm pretty psyched i'm excited about it uh it's gonna be me Otto English, I don't know if you're aware of him, he's a published author, but he's also, he does a lot of stuff for Byline Times, he does a column in Byline Times, he's also done loads of Byline TV stuff, um, also stand-up comedian Ashley Hayden, he is a battle-worn, fringe comedian, very highly regarded stand-up, he's fucking hilarious, uh, and then there'll be me and John Left of the Countryside there also, he's been on the podcast a few times, uh, in fact all of us have been on the podcast, so there's a lot of familiar faces there, so get down there, Thursday the 28th of September, Shoreditch. Uh, there'll be a link for tickets in the description for this episode. Uh, what else is going on? We might might have our first sponsor through soon. It's rather uh, rather exciting. I'm allowing myself to feel somewhat excited about that. More on that as it develops. Um, might be my first first little tingles of serotonin as I'm talking about that for the last, you know, two or three days. Waiting for my endorphin enzymes or whatever to fire up again. Um, I'm going to jump into some politics in a minute, so stick around for that. But I've got a little bit of Glastonbury to talk about, too, because I know some or most of you will know that I went to Glastonbury, right? Um, maybe you're like, wait, wait, hang on. Hang on. I thought I thought this podcast was about an exhausted dad in his shed, you know, ranting at clouds twice a week. You know, I thought I thought the whole deal with this podcast was that he, he's got two kids, he can never escape the house, and so he has to book in a conversation to be sure of any kind of adult chat once or twice a week. How exactly did he escape to go to fucking Glastonbury? So, okay, look, let's get into it. Let's update you guys. Cheers, by the way. So, I was very fortunately, uh, relatively last minute, included on the lineup for Danny fucking Price's show. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him, if you've caught the episode that he he came on here as a guest. Um, But, uh, you know, we've done stuff before together. We did a big show in February in Soho. Um, He's massive on Instagram. Anyway, um, I was sort of late added to the lineup for Danny's show at Glastonbury. And I can only assume that the only reason, like, how that happened... (laughs) Bear in, bear in mind my very modest following and, you know, whether or not they've seen me do stand-up. Or, I don't know. I can only assume that some hungover intern <laughs> or, or admin or data entry temp made a huge career-ending fuck-up and <laughs> accidentally <laughs> added me to it. Like, ended their career right from the get-go. By the time they sent the text to me, they were like, oh, oh, oh fuck, no! Oh, Balls! I've added A Thompson to the, like, oh, my career in events is over before it even fucking started, you know? But consequently, I was texted and invited. But I'm not being modest. I I feel like I absolutely did not deserve, really, to be there. I'm sure they could have found better better political comedians and so on. Um, Anyway, it's obviously the first time that I've performed there, and it's clearly a huge milestone. Um... And there's lots of gossip that comes with doing a show like that. So, so I want to share some of that stuff with. you. Should I should I fill you in on it? Should we share some gossip? Let's fill you motherfuckers in. Let's like like this is an episode or like an edition of Take a Break, you know? and I'm a column by some faded TV critic. You know, I'm like jo- join me as I show you behind the scenes, Glastonbury. Bye anika rice or something who who perhaps herself was only given the column because some intern fucked up anyway look so so danny phones me a few weeks back right as i say relatively last minute i assume that all of the shows are booked all of the uh programs have been requested for printing and the names of the artists and stuff are already on there so i i assume that i've missed my chance you know maybe at some point in the future it'll happen but anyway he phones me up and he goes Oi, do you fucking remember when we fucking did Riot Society? Because you and you fucking said you, you you fucking you like you would do it, and, and, and like Glastonbury would would be a fucking dream, you know? You fucking big twat. Do you fucking remember that? Go fuck yourself! Hey. It's fucking happening, you know? Because that's that's how he talks. Uh, you know, you think I swear too much? Well, okay, strap in for DFP. Um. Anyway, if you didn't sort of make sense of that, basically, the you know the crux of it was. I had said to him on the phone before when we were doing the Soho thing, I was like, you know, I just want to get this to a point where, like, how wild would it be if we did something like this at Glastonbury? Like, how fucking sick would that be? That would be, like, amazing. I would come from both balls if we could just do this at Glastonbury. And anyway, he was like, do you remember when he said that? Well, it's fucking happening. Like, they've asked if we would do the Riot Society, which was the name of our February night in Soho. They've asked if we would do that. So... I was like, whoa, holy shit. Really? Like, and I think, you know, I, or, you know, or we, I don't know, we I think we were so blown away by having been asked that we didn't really focus much on where we were being booked for, you know, and by whom and like how it was gonna work, you know? It was just such an honor. So, so blown away, were we? We were like, yeah, it's fucking amazing. Anyway, more, more on that, you know, the nuts and bolts of what we were actually did. More on that in a minute. So after that, we have a few Zoom chats. It's me, it's Danny, it's Super Tansky, the three of us, because that's who originally coordinated the February run. And we're talking about who, we, who we're going to get on, you know? What comedians could we book? What guests could we talk to on the stage? What guests are there already? You know, what other comedians are performing in the comedy section that we could, you know, tantalise across the hour thing, you know? But anyway, look, the plans are in motion and it's going to be the Riot Society, so it'll be very different, uh, sorry, very similar to the London gig that we did. And, um, you know, and it'll be first half is stand-up and then the second half will be a sort of panel and discussion. Except, here we go, slight curveball, uh, my demand, if you like, my input was like, look, can we just make the panel, like, podcasty bit, can we just make it way more piss-takey, you know? (laughs) Because I don't know if you attended the Soho gig, but, like, the London, like, panel, I don't know, man. Like, I've talked about this before. Like, it all just got very question time. Like, people got angry. People sat through the first half, and it was, like, stand up. They were laughing along, having a few drinks and stuff. Then the second half started, and people got mad. You know, I was like, man, this isn't fun. So when we were talking about it again, I was like, it has to be boilerplate fun for me. I have fuck all interest in coordinating some sensible, earnest discussion about how we fix Britain at this point. I mean, like, I have opinions on it. I think things like, you know, proportional representation and tactical voting, I think they're the right moves. But also I'm a bit like, why are we bothering? (laughs) Like, why why are we even trying to bother to fix parliamentary democracy when the oil's going to run out or a pandemic's going to flare up again or Putin's going to chuck nukes at us or climate change is going to render the shit uninhabitable? Like, the world is going to end. And, and, and you're going to be there, like, putting a nice lick of paint on a burning house, basically. But anyway, we we agree the model, the format. It's going to be a bit more fun, a bit more piss-takey. Definitely comedians in the first half. And, and then, you know, so then we start booking the guests. And that's sort of down to me because I'm I'm the stand-up guy. So, cheers. Um, So the stand-ups that I book are James Benison. He's been on the podcast. As has the other stand-up, a guy called Joe Jacobs. So James and Joe. And then that's the stand-up section nailed down, right? And then Danny is going to do, like, little, like, intersection bits. Like, he's going to be playing games and there's little mini sketches. And then we're going to get some guy from Just Stop Oil on for the panel bit. And we'll talk to him and hopefully have a laugh with him. And, and so the plans are coming together, is what I'm saying. And then I'm like, wait, where are we booked again? Like, what, what stage? Because in my mind, I'm still thinking, like, this is a comedy show. <laughs> like with a bit of a funny panel, you know? Like, they've booked Danny, and we all love Danny's commitment to political change, right, and how seriously he takes it, but also so much of his content is satirical and piss-taking, you know? Like, he's a funny guy on Instagram. And I like to think, you know, I can be funny on Twitter and TikTok and this thing, and Supertansky is satirical and... Uh, cutting, and you know? So I'm thinking overall it's a funny thing. And I've said, let's not make the second half too earnest and serious and question-timey. So I'm thinking we're gonna be in the left field tent, probably. Or maybe we'll be in the spoken word one tent, you know, or the comedy tent. You know, these are all tents with big like draping bits over the top and you can't hear other noise coming from other places and it's dark do you know what i mean i'm setting the scene it then it comes back and he goes no man no no, you you're in you guys are in (laughs) shangri-la we're like whoa 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 hold up hey (laughs) we're like you know listen i don't know if you guys listening to this I don't know if you know much about Glastonbury but Shangri-La is not the comedy stage. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like Shangri-La is not where you go when you're looking for a fucking satirical evening of stimulating political entertainment, you know, like people listening, a respectful audience, crowd interaction. Four chairs laid out on a stage with talking heads, making ribald references to the political battlefield. Shangri-La is where you go to get fucked up. (laughs) That is Shangri-La. Shangri-La is where you go to dab crystals on your gums and your pupils go huge and you wander around with eyes like saucers and people fucking falling in them. (laughs) It's, It's the rave district. People... People don't even really go there until like eleven or twelve at night, you know. It doesn't start till midnight, but then they stay till seven in the morning, sort of thing. It's that, right? And oh, wait, sorry, sorry, Danny. Um, what? Uh, what time are we on again? Uh, three p.m. Age, you fucking dickhead. Oh well, okay, great. <laughs> three p.m. So I'm still thinking at this point, you know, I guess there's a comedy tent in Shangri-La now, you know? And then we realised that the stage, you know, I'm talking about the left field tent, the comedy tent, the spoken word tent. Then we realised that the stage is also out in the open. Like it's full on. It's out in the open. It's blazing sunshine, cooking the audience alive. There's going to be minimal shade and and there's fucking three stages other stages in near proximity that are just blasting music into our area which i don't know if you know anything about comedy right and audiences and shit but the things right let me break it down the things that you want for a good gig to have a laughing audience and so on scientifically the science of comedy The things you want are no daylight. (laughs) You want it to be as dark as possible. You want a low ceiling. So absolutely not a big vacant room. Like you want that fucker packed in like as minimal space between human beings as possible. And absolutely no sound bleeding into your area. You don't want any football matches on the TV. You don't want a band in the next room. You don't even want a traffic light bleeping from the street, spilling through a window into people's earholes. You just want absolute focus from the audience. That is what you want for a good comedy gig. And so we're like, okay, well, um, well, we're on early um, in a district that doesn't really start for another nine hours. But you know, Danny's a big fish, right? You know, people will probably come to see him you know he's cool he's funny he's got a following and i know i i had some people coming to see me so we'll probably you know we'll have a small crowd to work with but can can i just check uh is the venue conducive with comedy well um how how do you mean well you know is it is it dimly lit is it packed in and is there no there's no sound bleeding in is there there's no distractions and and there's no there's no daylight from from outside uh no aid aid it's um it's a great big fuck off open stage. There's daylight everywhere. The crowd are going to be sat sporadically over here and over there, and you're going to have three stages blasting music at your audience. So, like it, could, you could not have constructed like a worse itinerary of boxes to tick to make it really bad. For, and like me and James Bennett were like, we were laughing at how bad this gig was going to go. <laughs> like we were excited because it's Glastonbury, obviously. Honored even. But paradoxically, we were like, Oi, James, um, this is gonna be comedy death, right? Oh yeah, yeah, a- absolutely guaranteed. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> Honored to be part. Oh, it's amazing to be booked for this gig that could well be the worst fucking gig I've done in years! Without question. It's like it's like being asked if you wanna fuck Kim Bassinger, you know? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> And then you figure out that the conditions of that are that she's 70 and incontinent now. And you're like, well, I mean, I'd, I'd still kind of like to be able to say that I fucked Vicky Vale. I would. <laughs> and then you end up, you'd end up bagging her from behind, you know, while looking at Google pictures of her from the 80s, just to make it all right. Well, what, right, well, well, what, what, what are you talking about? A? That is not, what, what is wrong with you? I'm sorry. Um, look, I'm just saying, Glastonbury was an honour. It was still definitely worth it. Even though the conditions were perhaps not as as perfect <laughs> as perhaps I had imagined that they, they might be. But it was fun. And it's all a learning curve, right? And it what like, I learned a lot. And it was inspiring, to be honest with you. Because, you know, when I was talking to James Benison before and we were saying, yep, yeah, this is... This is going to be death. Like, he and I were like, well, no, hang on a second. We're going to make this work, okay? We're going to make this fun. And I was like, well, how though? And he's like, I'm going to take a pill. <laughs> like, you know, And so this, this motherfucker drops a pill like a, a legit ecstasy tablet before going on stage. Which I think from memory, like, it's a long time since I've done an ecstasy pill, right? But it's like 20 minutes, right? 25 minutes, maybe. And he's he's not due on stage for like another 20. I still have to come on and come off again. And I'm like, have you actually taken one? Like, I'm laughing at him at the recklessness. <laughs> and I suppose, you know, the, the rock star, festival nature Like, who the fuck takes a pill before they do stand-up, you know? But he's like yeah I, I you know i feel I figure it's like um you know russian roulette you know like you drop the pill and then it's like will i come up while i'm on stage talking to people or not you know who knows let's find out aid and i'm actually really proud of my reaction to it because it's like you know i think for a lot of people if they'd booked their friend to do a set you know like james we we have no more like talent passes um, but you're already there doing your own show right so do you think do you think you could do a quick 10 spot for us like could you help us out could you bring your a game could you make it as political as you can and you know and he's like oh don't worry buddy don't worry i've got you i can help you, you know and then he pops a pill <laughs> and and vibrates his way onto the stage just buzzing laser beams shooting out of his audience out you know and he's dancing to the rhythm of his own jokes you know i think a lot of people would be like no 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 this is this is so unprofessional but But I'm quite proud of this. Like, I was actually zen as fuck about it. I was like, all right. (laughs) Let's see how this works out. (laughs) So up he goes. And he was funny as fuck. You know, credit where it's due. Like, it was obvious he was coming up. (laughs) And it was one of the funniest fucking things. Because it's like, normally, you know, normally stand-ups come on stage... You know, like they start full of energy and then they get you G'd up, you know, throughout their set. Because you are sort of on edge. You don't know who this person is. Are they going to make me laugh? Are they going to be shit? I don't know anything about them. So they come on all energetic and then throughout their 15 minute set or whatever, they put that confidence and energy into you. And then by the end of their set, they're actually quite relaxed, you know, so they start energetic and slowly they... Kind of calmed down. Like the butterflies and the public speaking nervousness is kind of gone now. By the end of their set, they're kind of calm. But this was like the opposite. Like this <laughs> This was like he came on stage and gradually got more animated <laughs> and and excited. And, and by the time he left, he was in the music. You know, like like, bopping and dabs and crescendoing. Like, like not even leaving the stage and going backstage. Like, just just stepping down the steps and disappearing into the crowd and, and straight to one of the rave stages. Like, I'm impressed he even reached the end of his set. Because I was half expecting a routine, like he'd be in the middle of, that he would slowly... You know, this is just morph into him beatboxing and his, you know, physical existence would <laughs> sort of split into 300 bubbles and they would each pulse in time with the minimalist house music pumping in and he just becomes one with the other stage's crowds, you know? Just abandon his set midway through to fuck off and rave out. That's what I was expecting. But yeah, he, uh, he held it together. So that was, that was the comedy bit. Um, and and you know, then Danny did his bits in between each of the stand-ups, you know, like this sort of um He did a sort of like Brucey Price is right sort of thing where the like the crowd had to vote on who's the bigger cunt. You know, Dominic Raab or Lawrence Fox, you know? It's that sort of thing. You hold up the cards of them, like, who do you hate more? Pretty Patel? Or Boris Johnson? Right, you, you get the idea, I'm sure. And then he had, in another section, there was like this big paper mache Piers Morgan head. Called <laughs> Piers Morgan, right? And he came on stage, his head, and he was blasting everyone with a gammon cannon. Like, like it was pretty, like, it was anarchic. It was anarchic as fuck. So that was the comedy. And, oh, fuck, yeah, Joe Jacobs, the other comedian, he had to cancel. He broke his fucking foot and he had to leave the festival. So that was kind of chaotic as well. And then, anyway, by the time we get to the panel, right, there's the three of us, the Riot Society generals. There's me, Danny fucking Price, and Super Tansky. And this was Tan's first time on stage, right? Is it Glastonbury, (laughs) right? First time on stage doing politics-y stuff. And so, she, you know, she was a bit nervous. Just as you or I or, or anyone would be if it's your first time and it's all a bit chaotic and you're nervous and, you know, Joe Jacobs has pulled out and, you know, it's, everyone's tearing around and, and people like me are just laughing at their cohorts popping a pill before they go on stage. And it was so fucking hot as well. Like, Tan fainted from the heat about an hour before the show started. And like, it was fucking bedlam. So then like, imagine you're like, I I hope this goes okay, you know? And then I'm like, chill out, it'll be fine. You'll be great, don't worry. You know, everything is gonna go to plan. But then imagine you're like, what? Like like it has already? (laughs) Like, how is any of this going to plan, hey? Don't tell me it's gonna go to plan. It's obviously fucked. Anyway, so the stand-up comes and goes. The games come and go. And then the panel starts and it's me, Tan, Danny. And as we're talking about something, right? There's this fourth chair on the stage. Cause there's us three sitting in our chairs. And then there's one empty chair in between us. Cause we have two guests coming on. We've got Ben from Just Stop Oil. And then we've got Graham Hughes from Labour Social coming on towards the end. And as we're sat there, the three of us talking shit, you know, riffing, roasting, this fucking random from the crowd just gets up, gets onto the stage, and sits the fuck down in between us like it's the most natural thing in the world. Like this is his seat, you know? (laughs) Like, we're in the middle of talking about tactical voting or, or Boris Johnson getting banned from Parliament or something. And this fucking idiot gets up and he sits down in this chair like your dad in that corner armchair after a Sunday roast, you know? Like, yep, this is where I sit. And I was just blown away, you know? Like, he was more confident about where he was supposed to sit than Tan. You know, like, Tan is like, do I, um... Do do I sit here? Is it like is is this one okay? Do do we all go up uh, at the same time? Do do we know what we're talking about? This guy is like, yeah, uh, don't mind me, guys. Just going to take the weight off for a minute, you know. (laughs) Just sit back, and so we're just talking amongst ourselves, you know, kind of ignoring him, kind of waiting for security to step in and go, mate, come on, fuck off. Nobody does shit. He just sits there. So we're just talking amongst ourselves, ignoring. And here's the fucked up part. Then I felt rude for ignoring him like like it felt like we were three mates of the pub talking about politics and this was my mate i had brought along from work and i wasn't including him <laughs> and we should steer the convo back to football so he can feel included you know like, Danny's sort of, you know, in mid Danny. If he's like, yeah, fucking, fucking Tories are fucking cunts. Get the fucking Tories out. And Tan's in mid Tan. Like, another, another five years of Tory. I'd rather guide my dad into my, you know, doing Tan. And, and I'm like, yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. And then this fucking guy briefly looks up from his phone. He's just sat there with his drink and his phone. He looks up from his phone, looks at me as though I'm supposed to, like, include him. And I'm like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Did you have something that you want to contribute? Did, like, are we encroaching on your ability to make a point here? Is that what's happening? So, fucking hell. So there were stand-ups doing pills and rave music blaring in and people couldn't really hear me when I was doing my set and there was last-minute cancellations and stage invaders and anarchy and, you know, like Danny and and James and Tan, they were great. And Graham's bit towards the end was, was cool too. Offer the cap to him. Uh, I feel like I was ferociously mediocre. Um, But it was fun. It was fun doing it. I'm glad that I did it. And, uh, you know, very glad that they bothered to to ask me. But, yeah, I think think next time, man, like, like I've already started thinking about what I would like to do if I could wangle it to perform next year. You know, like what would that look like? What kind of show would I like to put on if it was kind of, you know, all up to me, you know, a sort of multimedia experience, if that doesn't sound too insufferably pretentious, you know, like I'd, I'd like to kick it off with a, with a fucking banger of an East coast sounding like boom bap hip hop track, but it'd be like kind of, you know, political, but funny, you know, cause it did, it felt like, you know, it's a festival, And I get there's a place for spoken word and comedy and panels and and all of that, especially at Glasgow, Obviously, there is. But I also think, you know, for me to get the most out of Glastonbury and to do the sort of show that I would want to do and to get the kind of reaction that I want from the crowd. I think next time I'll do something, you know, firstly, probably on my own or at least I'll collate it by myself and it will probably kick off with a banging rap tune because it's just something about festivals that when you come on the stage you just want that bass kicking in and the lights down low and then the crowd like Whoa! you know there's just something missing about that you don't get when you walk on stage like hey guys let me tell you some jokes <laughs> but there would be stand-up and you know a monologue and and then here's here's my idea right it's like you know it Bits would fade out and then there would be a sort of video thing, you know, a little segment, maybe with some funny Vox Pops. And then it would like the lights would fade up and maybe Tan would be behind a desk doing a sort of David Mitchell style rant, you know, like presenting. But from behind it, I think she'd be really good at that. And then maybe I'd come back on and talk to the crowd and go into some stand up and then another song, you know, like the whole thing would be more of a show. It would be more of a fringe vibe, I guess. I don't know, but like, oh, and yeah. Most important thing, it would be in a proper tent. It would, it would be like blacked out, no distractions. You know, in the spoken word or comedy area. Anyway, look, so that's that's my idea. That's where my head's at right now. These are my thoughts. If that's of uh, any interest to anyone. What else happened, man? Let me, let me, uh, let me bring you in on on a few other little bits. So, so I was basically off my fucking nut for three days. Um, I saw. Who did I see? I saw I saw the Mannix, that was fun. I saw Fat Boy Slim, for the first time, <laughs> which was which was epic. Like I know I'm very late to the game with Fat Boy Slim, but he is incredible, isn't he? I mean, he's really like it's something else. Watch it. Like I hope I'm having that much fun, loving life when I'm 59. Really, truly, I do. Like Norman Cook jumping up and down mr x zoe ball you know in this sort of cartoony fat suit and there's these silly video effects like shooting out loads of colors stupid faces shine also like he's just having a whale of a time up there man like smiling laughing and this you know this remix of his hits and stuff blaring out like that the whole thing was cheesetastic and so over the top i was fucking loving it man Like You know when the person that you're watching is so obviously having the time of their life and it just fills you with this sort of vicarious joy, you know? Like, I just, I hope I'm having that much fun, as much fun as Norman Cook, when I'm 59. Like, Norman Cook should be the poster boy for post-divorce happiness, I really think. Like, fuck the house music and the sampling and obviously fuck the house martings. Like, what were you thinking, Norman? Fuck all that. Marketing divorces is your real calling. Like, you're a good producer, Norm. You are. But with this, this you could be spectacular. Just just a perfect fit. Like, I reckon you could show men, you know, like they would walk into a solicitor's a bit unsure about it, you know. I don't know if this is really, like, what I want to do. I don't know if it's final yet, if it's really over or... And then you show them text messages from their wives that they sent them on their birthdays you know and none of it will be like happy birthday or anything affectionate or loving or fun it'll all just be like what time are you coming home <laughs> like, don't forget to pick up the dishwasher and tablets or just you know other artifacts of their now monotonous crushing purgatorial non-existence you know and then if that's not enough Then you show them Fat Boy Slim after his divorce. (laughs) Just loving life. And then and then a fucking national lottery like Cloud Hand (laughs) come out, point at them. It could be you. Anyway, yeah, so he was He was great, man. Um And you know what's funny, man? Like he fits so perfectly into this sort of bracket of artists that we were talking about, like on the drive down there, like me and Tan drove down together and, um, and we were gassing away about singers and musicians who are in on the joke kind of thing, you know, they're in on the joke, like they don't take themselves too seriously. They self mock. And Fat Boy Slim like has that in abundance. It's like these video things with his own face, you know, photoshopped onto other things and they're just spinning around. And it's, you know, he's self-deprecating. It's, I guess, what I'm trying to get to. Like, And Robbie Williams was another one that came up in that conversation. Like, love or hate him? Like, I'm not a big Robbie fan. I could take or leave him. Some people fucking love him. Mums who grew up in the 90s still slip off a barstool for him. Even now, they adore him. But to me, I'm like, nah, he's just a shitty end-of-the-peer crooner. He really is. Like, Lord, please bless my kids with the tenacious graft to want to be a scientist or a doctor as much as Robbie Williams wants to be Dean Martin. Please! That's all I ask. But I can take or leave him. You know, like i liked what was that song you did no regrets that was it i liked no regrets and i liked um is it stronger no that was kanye wasn't it strong i think it's just you think that i'm strong that one right i like those but then he'll come out with you know that over the top fake yank accent you know that greaty american shitty act. And then I just want to get six sides of soundproofing, gaffer tape them together, you know, so they're like a cube surrounding his head after I've packed his mouth with sawdust and super glued his lips shut. Because it grates on me so much when he's like, fucking, the taxi cab is way waiting. I know. stop it, Robbie. Do you remember that shit from the take that days? <laughs> We said goodbye, the taxi cab is way tight. Like, dude, you're from Stoke on fucking Trent. What are you doing? Well, do you think there's singers in dinner jackets in Vegas speaking in Italian-American accents, but then when when they start singing, they're like, everything changes but you. We're a thousand miles apart. No, there's no one that does that, because that would be insane, Robbie. I don't know, man. Like, do you think... Do you think American singers ever put on a British accent? Do you think that ever happens? Or is it just the other way round? What do you guys think? Question to the floor. Any Americans ever pretend to be British? Do you think? I mean, apart from Boris Johnson. (laughs) God, I've spent most of this fucking episode talking about Glastonbury now. Should we we try and do a bit of politics? Yeah, keep the heads locked in. Um, So, what's been happening uh, in the last week while I've been off? Getting off my nut. Uh, Putin almost got cooped the other day. Don't know if you saw that. Um, Big story the last couple of days has been uh, Rishi Sunak has been pictured with an invisible ink pen you guys see this? And it's like both in his time as Chancellor, but also through into and like now as his as time as Prime Minister as well. Using an invisible ink pen. So that's fun. That's interesting. And a lot of people seem really shocked by this. Don't they? I've seen a lot of tweets. I've seen a lot of talking heads like, Well, this is outrageous. You know, this is like a government secrecy. Why would he have a pen that's erasible? Because they're crooked as fuck. That's why. Like, we all know this. None of this is surprising anymore. It's not. I'm going to save my shock for the next time someone invades my stage or whatever. Because this, this is not shocking. Like, are we really supposed to be surprised that this coterie of cunts are using self-erasing ink to put notes down? that you can remove so there's no trace of them. Really? Is that shocking to you? This is a fucking government that have secret non-minuted meetings with donors over the 250 grand mark. That is a fact. You can pay a quarter of a million to CCHQ and you too can have a private donor meeting with the Chancellor and the Prime Minister off the books off the record, like fuck the ink disappearing, there'll be no notes to begin with. <laughs> the shit never happened. It's like a phantom poo it's Like, gone. Isn't a government that use burner phones? For fuck's sake. Like they they trade messages with each other using these like unofficial platforms that self delete the messages. You know, or they use a second iPhone and they don't save each other's numbers. They're like fucking drug dealers. And if they don't like have burner phones, they lose their actual phone, their government phone in the sea or down the toilet. And then they go, oh, well, uh, whoops. I uh, I lost it in the sea. (laughs) And uh, luckily or unluckily, perhaps none of my backups were switched on. So I'm very, very sorry, frightfully sorry. but, uh, But I guess that brings the inquiry. (laughs) to a close. This is is a party who, when an MP collated a dossier highlighting allegations of 1980s nonce burgers, like establishment sex nonces, the files for it, there was 114 of them, and they just vanished. They just disappeared from the home office like magic. (laughs) Gone. Like, the Conservative Party have such a perfect, reliable track record for keeping their shit covered up. You know? Hidden. Removed. Opaque. Like, at this point, I reckon you can make a case that that is actually more their thing, you know, than their supposed things. Do you know what I mean? Like... Like, just the fucking list I've just gone through, right? That's, like, off the top of my head. Just those instances outnumber the instances they've showcased any fiscal responsibility, don't they? Like, they're supposed to be the natural party of government? The party of sound finance? They're like, oh, we're the the conservative party and we're the sensible ones with money. Not like those uh, reckless lefty. Well, hang on a second, Hugo. How many... How many times have you allowed the economy to slide into a shitter position over the last 13 years? Oh, well, uh, uh, right. Well, because I mean, there's been Brexit, which decimated our growth. Then there's been excess borrowing, which is over 100 percent of GDP now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, but uh, hang on a minute. Then you fucked over the markets last year. I mean, you really did bend the markets over. And dispatch an eye-watering dose of buggery. I mean, to the the, the pensions and bond, bond sectors, they'd never have recovered. Yeah, right. But I mean, that, that's just a. Um, that was a. That was a. That was a Trussian blip. Right. It was a Trussian blip that made it more expensive for the UK to borrow money. So we're now over 100% of GDP to debt ratio. We can't get it down because you fucked the growth. And we're unable to pay it back because the rate we borrow now is so expensive. And you've blown $100 on various PPE and VIP schemes. Okay, okay, you you made your point. So we've been a bit shit. Yes, yes, that's what I'm saying. So if your hallmark, if your branding is conservatives are the party of fiscal responsibility, but there is zero fiscal responsibility going on, but what there is going on is cover-ups and whitewashes, and burner phones, and invisible ink pens, and disappearing WhatsApps, and missing home office dossiers. Right, right, right. I'm just saying, that's basically your thing then, isn't it? Well, yeah. Well, yes, I, I suppose. Like, where, you know when Norman Cook is the poster boy for post-divorce happiness? You know, like, Tories should be the advert for shit criminals. You know, like, it's just, it's so obvious that that's what you do, lads. It's so transparent. It's like, hey, can we can we get a freedom of information request to see your WhatsApp, Rish? You know, Mister Integrity, Mister Trust is earned, and I'm going to earn yours. Well, I, I would love to, but um, unfortunately, my my WhatsApps are redacted. They're they're redacted. Why? Well, that's um, that is uh, that's how I send them. That's how you send them like in blocks of blacked out text, so literally nobody could read them. Yeah, that's right, that's the, that's the only way that we can guarantee total security for the British state. Wow, wow, you must think that we are really fucking stupid. Like, I don't care if you want to be crooks in Whitehall, I don't like, and rob the purse and all that, but at least be clever about it, because this really is fucking base level, crayon shitting, rubber cutlery, dumbish. I mean, did you really think people would just believe this? How thick do you think we are? Well, um, hey, look over there! People still think Boris Johnson's a patriot! Well, okay, okay, yeah, fine. That's actually, um, that's fair enough, I guess. Mr. Fucking Brexity flag-fucking-little-price-churchill-himself. Fresh from that Dispatches expose last night. Don't know if any of you saw it. Um, exposing him for... You know, but basically being everything but a confirmed published agent of the Russian state. Like, I'm not fucking around. Like, he was overruling security concerns. Getting the son of a KGB agent put in the House of Lords. (laughs) Shaking off his security details so he could go and party with them while carrying NATO documents. Like no security, straight from a NATO meeting, going party with Russians, and yet still, you get people pretending he's a patriot, pretending he's the embodiment of British pride. Yeah, well, he's uh, he's Boris, isn't he? Well, yes, but it looks like, I mean, it 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 appears, reportedly, allegedly, it appears that he might be very heavily affiliated with the Russian state. But no, no, he stands in front of flags and he's got funny hair and he, he writes books about Churchill. Well, yes, but but he took millions in donations from a woman whose husband was Putin's finance minister. So, like, if, if he's not Kremlin-linked, well, he's at best kind of Kremlin-adjacent, right? Well, no, no, because he, he went to Eton. And he wouldn't do that. Anyway, like, he'd put his country and everyone else first. Oh, oh, fucking really? (laughs) Would he? He'd put everyone else first. Okay, now I've heard myself say this, but I I actually feel a little bit silly. Like, it really is... Do you know what? It's a toss-up between Robbie Williams and Boris Johnson. (laughs) Who is actually the fakest Brit out of the two of them? Like, Robbie, I can forgive. He's fine. Like, his twang annoys me. It does. But at least the worst thing he ever did was... Party like a Russian. <laughs> Fucking hell! Like, I don't know if you remember that. That was a music video where he was pretending to be a Russian oligarch and partying, like, in this sort of opulent way. Fucking hell. it's all coming together for the end of the show now, isn't it? It's perfect. Like, I've had a week off, I've had a little break, and we are back to operating at the premium tier. here tier. Like, like, do you remember with his, his Vegas... Swing While You're Winning album that he brought out and all of that. Like, just bank that for a bit. Like, Robbie is a Brit pretending to be an American with his Yank accent who at one time, for his pie like a Russian thing, acted like a Russian. Meanwhile, Johnson is an American who pretends to be British but who may well ostensibly be an asset of the Russian state. Like, how about that shit? Which one is worse? But yeah, anyway, still... People will fawn over him endlessly, I'm sure. Not least Nadine Dorries and half of the Red Wall Tories. Pretending he's a hero. Telling themselves he's a modern day Churchill. Hashtag bring back Boris. So fuck it. You know, maybe Rishi Sunak is right. Maybe the Tories more broadly are right to treat us like fucking idiots. We just turn a blind eye to that shit. And all the other shit, you know? Oh, yeah, they're the the party of fiscal responsibility. Yeah, no, he's Churchill. He's Churchill. Yeah, no, I'm sure they had good reason to not investigate that fraud. Over there, you know? God, this has got so dark and depressing, hasn't it, to round off and just... Maybe I should have popped a pill just before I came on, you know? (laughs) Might have made it more fun. Guys, that's it. Uh, Are you coming to the live show? It's on Thursday, the 28th of September. It's at the book club in Shoreditch. Uh, there is a ticket link in this episode's description. So if you've enjoyed the podcast a few times and you can get to London on a Thursday night, uh, it's going to be a scream. Man. Uh, we've got John left to the countryside. We've got Otto English from Byline Times. We've got stand-up comedian Ashley Hayden. Come join us. It starts at half past seven, 28th of September. Uh, there's still tickets available. It's going to be comedy, games, stand-up, podcast. I'm going to do a meet and greet with my Patreons as well. Let's fucking do this. Um, also, maybe do take a look at the Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson with an I-N on the end. I'm putting episodes of the podcast there two days before they go out anywhere else. You also got first look at the live tickets if you go on Patreon. Uh, There's London meetups for Patreon backers. Uh, There's a Discord instant messaging live chat. That's a bit like WhatsApp, Slack, Teams, you know, whatever. But it's just fans of the show, people of the booge, my cult, if you like, that are in there. Um, Also, if you're on the uh, Patreon and you go for the £5 tier and upwards, uh, you get named and shamed or, you know, credited at the end of shows like this one. And finally, if you go on the £10 tier, which is frankly ridiculous. Nobody needs to do it. But if you do go on it, you get a monthly Skype call one-to-one offered up by me also. So if that is of any interest to you, that is there too. Uh, Finally, if you're not in a position to support via the uh, Patreon uh, and you can't make it to the gig or, or whatever, maybe have a look at the funk27 website. That's funk-27.co.uk. That's my website. I've got four t-shirts up there for men, women, all different sizes. Uh, so if it's just like a one-off and you fancy supporting the show, maybe take a look at those also. Um, anyway, before I go, quick of the cap to my Patreons. Uh, so big shout outs to Bowman, Chris D, David, uh, Mojo Sabian, Peter, Pingu, Stuart, T-Rex and Aaron. And then Alex, Kai, Jeff, Ned, Sarah, and Silent. Thank you so, so much, guys, for continuing your support of the pod. That's it. I'll be back Friday night with a guest. Until next time, stay booge and keep it strictly hashtag Binfluencer. I'm out.